listening to On the NBA Beat on Almighty Baller Radio, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. It's a shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh! A spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. After a grueling season, we finally made it to the much-anticipated final series, our third straight between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors. We have two special guests to help us break down that matchup. First up, giving the Cleveland side, is New York Times best-selling author Brendan Bowers, whose upcoming book, LeBron James versus the NBA considers the superstar's place among the NBA greats. Another connection Brendan has with the Cavaliers is that in high school, he played on the same AAU team as Rich Paul, the high-profile sports agent representing LeBron, Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith, and others. Our second guest is someone we all know and love, the inaugural member of our five-timers club, Andy Liu, who's always ready with his Warriors knowledge. These guys don't need any more introduction, so I'll bring on Brendan now, but be sure to stay tuned after the break for Andy Liu. Hey, Brendan, thanks a lot for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. No problem. We finally made it to the finals matchup that people have been anticipating all season. Kevin Love actually told the media that he thinks it's funny that the Cavs are being called the underdogs in this series. Since they're the defending champs, they have LeBron James, one of the best players in history. What do you think about that? Do you think it is funny that the Cavs are considered underdogs? Well, I think that it's funny that LeBron James' team, after you know what he did last year, you know what he's done throughout his career, has been an underdog as many times as he has. Uh, I believe he's only been the fa- he's been the underdog six times now in the NBA Finals. And that's crazy when you compare that to Michael Jordan um, as far as, you know, he was never an underdog in, in, the, in a Finals matchup. So I think that is the only really thing that's that's funny is that if you step back and say a LeBron James team with Kyrie Irving, you know, with a Kevin Love is an underdog, you know, that's funny. But the Warriors, I think, are, you know, they were an historic team last year, you know, a championship caliber team. Cleveland and Golden State fans are always joking on Twitter about the 3-1 lead. But, you know, the fact of the matter is the Warriors could have been NBA champions and the Cavaliers were. And then they go ahead and add, you know, Kevin Durant. So I see why, you know, why the Cavs are an underdog. And then just lastly, I've seen Kevin Love, you know, answer questions before. And he's he's not like the savviest with the media, you know, in terms of his answers. A lot of times he'll make them really short and, you know, just kind of joking. It doesn't really expand it. And then you get a headline like this. Like, you know, someone probably asked, Kevin Love, what do you think about the Golden State Warriors being, you know, favored? And he says, you know, it's funny. And then moved on to the next question. And and so I don't know that he was really – it looks like he's throwing shots for sure. You know, I don't know that he was. But either way, I see why the Warriors are favored. Yeah, I mean, I agree that the comment from – Kevin Love may have been overblown and played for storylines, especially during this uh, long layoff that we're having. Yeah, you're right. The long layoff has a factor there. 
the point you made about LeBron's legacy, how he's been an underdog so often, is an interesting one. You have a book coming out called LeBron James versus the NBA, in which you look at LeBron's place in the NBA hierarchy. Now he just passed Michael Jordan in total playoff points. How would you assess that right now? Well, in my book, you know, I was asked to rate legends, you know, 15 to 1. And essentially make the case for why LeBron James becomes the greatest player of all time, you know, takes the mantle from Michael Jordan in a certain period of time. And I quantified that by championships, MVP awards, and all-star appearances. I gave numeric values each one, um, et cetera. And it shakes out like right now that, you know, LeBron has to, you know, at least win two, he has to win two more um, NBA championships to have an opportunity to take Jordan's place and you know we'll see what happens this year that could be one of them but one thing that is interesting between the two players is that I think LeBron last year specifically beat a better team than Jordan ever beat in the NBA finals when you look at like Carl Malone and Stockton's Jazz you know Charles Barkley with the Phoenix Suns you know, a number of teams you know I think last year's Warriors are better you know in terms of who LeBron just beat. So LeBron's been an underdog, you know, more times than than Jordan. He gets some credit for essentially pulling the upset. But then you got to also just say that, you know, no game that Jordan ever stepped into, you know, was he not favored. Got to give Jordan credit for that too. Yeah. I want to know from you if you think we're seeing the best version of LeBron on a basketball court that we've seen ever. He's 32 and a half years old now. These playoffs, he's getting to the line 9.6 times per game, averaging 32.5 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. Is this peak LeBron? Yeah, I think LeBron's in his prime right now. And I'm not saying that prime's going to last X number of years. I don't know how long it's going to last. But, you know, I think he's playing in his, I think he's in his prime right now. You rattled off the numbers. If I was to guess why, you had to guess one thing, why is it the prime now? I think part of getting that championship for Cleveland, breaking that streak, you know, the six-decade streak of no championships, doing it for his hometown, completing the redemption story, I think now that that whole thing is off his back, he's just playing basketball, and he might be playing it – no, he is, I think, playing it better than he ever has, despite the athleticism that he had, you know, at 22, at 23, at 24. You know, he's just totally dominating the game. He's – and I think one thing that he did, and I don't want to give him too much credit just by guessing, but like if you go to this many NBA finals, I would say that he knows how to manage his body from preseason to regular season to all-star break to the playoffs. You know, obviously there's luck in there with health, but I think he's learned something about how to manage his body for the NBA grind. And I think he might have, you know, helped Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love with that this year, too. Yeah, those are interesting points. He's in his 14th season, obviously jumping straight from. That's what makes it crazy that he's in his 14th season. You're right. I know. And, and still looks so athletic. Obviously, not a, as crazy athletic as he was once, but 32 and a half years old. That's old for a guy that's been just so deep into the playoffs, played international basketball. Yeah. Also, this seems ridiculous to nitpick, but I have to ask about the Game 3 dud of a performance against Boston, just because it seemed like such an outlier. Do you think that that was just sickness, as 
was reported and nothing really to worry about? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't know. There was something. I mean, so, like, I'm not going to sit here and say there was no reason or nothing that happened. It was out of the ordinary. But at the same time, I was at that game. When you're at that game and, and watching it, like, Kevin Love was on fire in the first half. Kyrie Irving caught fire, you know, after that. Like, you look up and you see Love as 30, Kyrie as 30. Or it was like 27 and 27. And you feel like, and they were up by 20 at halftime. You feel like, oh, like, I didn't even notice LeBron's numbers were really down until, like, you know, the fourth quarter. Because for a while, you didn't need him. But he need, he did need to deliver in those final six minutes, and, and he didn't. Was there any degree of worry during the team's subpar post-All-Star break stretch? They were 29th in defensive efficiency. They just couldn't defend. A lot of people talk about them flipping a switch. It kind of implies a negative thing that they weren't giving full effort at times, but I guess you could also interpret it as kind of like what you were saying about LeBron before, that they were astutely pacing themselves for when the games mattered most. How do you see that dynamic when people use that phrase, flipping a switch? Well, it seems like if they did flip a switch, I mean, I'm fine with it right now with the way that they went through the playoffs. I mean, they had that one dud, like you said, against Boston, but 12-1, and one, you know, took care of business. And really, they got to defend now. And, like, they got to defend the Warriors. And their team was built to defend, you know, to attempt to defend you know, the Warriors, and that's all they've been worried about, you know, all years. You know, Channing Fry wasn't used throughout the playoffs. He'll be used against the Warriors as a big stretch center type guy. So we'll see. They got to defend. They got to defend to the best of their ability every game of the series to have a chance. So hopefully they're prepared enough to give that effort, but I guess we'll see. And if, and if they don't, then it's, it's kind of what, what you were saying. What's your understanding of that defensive game plan that they're going to go with or the, the different options that they have against a team that has so many different weapons offensively like Golden State? Well, I mean, they're going to attack Steph again like they did last year in games six and seven, get him in isolation. And, you know, so there'll be at least some of that. I, I don't know how you defend Durant, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, like, I don't know. I, I don't exactly know. Like, guys are going to have to play huge. Like, for example, like, Kevin Lowe is going to have to play great defense against Draymond Green. Like, he hasn't done that yet. You know, if, if they're going to, you know, ultimately win this thing, he's going to have a game where you're like, holy cow, I, I didn't know Kevin Love could defend like that. So if he's prepared to give those type of efforts um, and they can get them all on the same night, then, you know, they'll be in good shape. But – I think a lot of it's pace, hopefully, and just really all leading up to this one matchup. Do you think LeBron James personally is capable of just digging in and giving consistently strong defensive performances? Because we know that he can, but... Well, he's going to, you know, figure he's probably going to be matched up against Durant, right? Like, or, you know, not Clay or Draymond. So he's got to, yeah, he's got to get stops. Like, he has to get stops. You know, there's nowhere to hide for anybody, you know, against the Warriors. So, yeah, he's going to have to win the battle with Durant. Or, you know, if he's on – if Clay gets hot, he's got to shut Clay down somehow. Or, or or get in front of Steph if he's 
destroying Kyrie off the dribble. So yeah, I mean he's gonna have to he's gonna have to be able to defend. For Kevin Love, he looks like he's the most comfortable he's been as a part of this Cavaliers team. Especially during the postseason, he's had some real solid performances. How did he get to that point, and why do you think it took so long for him to discover how dominant he could be, both scoring and rebounding? Yeah, the rebounding, I've never really... The only thing I can think of for, for why he hasn't rebounded better with the Cavs is, you know, he's he's out on the perimeter. He's not inside in the paint where he was with the Timberwolves and not in as great a position to rebound. But he, I, I feel like if he's... Throughout his tenure, like he could have rebounded a little more. Um, he's having a better year this year. But, you know, as far as for him being comfortable, I mean, if you look back at like the player he was as an all-star for the Timberwolves or as on Team USA for the Timberwolves, you know, when he first played with LeBron, you know, he, he wasn't a perimeter player. You know, now he's basically a perimeter player. So like throughout this process in varied sta- varying stages – you know, of going from Minnesota to Cleveland. You know, he's become essentially an entirely different player, you know, than he was when he first broke into the league. So I think finding that and then trying to find that as the third option is tough. You know, figuring out, you know, after you're just getting fed by Ricky Rubio bounce passes wherever you want it. I think he struggled with that transition at times. But after the finals, you know, the talks, there's always – People saying he's going to get traded. They, you know, they died down, you know, a little bit, you know, compared to where they were. And so I think, you know, the getting that championship, being an NBA champion and, you know, just having more repetitions in this new role for this new team has been helping them. Yeah, I definitely see that too. And moving on to the other member of Cleveland's big three, Kyrie Irving, he definitely showed in last series that he's still I feel like he was a little bit forgotten about during this season, but he showed during last year he said he's still able to single-handedly take over stretches of games with his isos and finishing ability. What do you expect from him in the matchup against the Warriors? He's going to need at least one of those games, if not two of those games, where he just takes over, just like you said, just like you you described, you know, for the Cavaliers to win this. I think that I also agree with you that like he kind of got looked over this year. When you think about performances that he had in, in game six and game seven, and then, you know, the, the shot that he hits to, to win it um, in game seven, and then combined with, you know, all-star play over the last two years, I think, you know, he does get overshadowed in a matchup, you know, like this, because, you know, when you break it down, you talk about three of the five best players are in this, match up with Durant, Steph, and LeBron. And then, you know, Draymond's uh, All-NBA and, and Durant is All-NBA and, and Steph. So you also say there's, what was that, five? Five All-NBA players, and Kyrie's not one because um, he was left off the All-NBA team this year. So, you know, he's going to have to have another final series like he did last year to really put himself in that Russell Westbrook, you know, that top-of-the-line point guard conversation so those games you described he's gonna have to have one or two of them for the Cavs to win yeah and as we know he missed the majority of the 2015 finals which the Cavs dropped he was great in the 2016 ones as you described he had that huge shot in game seven obviously but over the course of this season there were a lot of 
questions about their depth, especially during that stretch when they seem to be dealing with a lot of injuries. Do you think that's led to them being a little bit too reliant on their three stars or have those issues been addressed by now? Um, no, I think I think you're right about relying too much on those stars. I think the injuries had, like you said, factor in it. But the way I look at this series is the team with two of the three best players in that game you know, is going to win. So it's got to be LeBron or Kyrie or Kevin Love that, that's in that conversation. And, and really everyone else has to, you know, I guess, play their role. Of those role players, the players other than those big three, who do you think, if there is an X factor that needs to perform well, who would you single out? I would say it's J.R. Smith. I think you know what you're going to get from Tristan. You're going to get, you know, 10 and 10 or some, you know, close variation of that. Um, and you're going to get that every night. So the guy is, to me, is J.R. Smith. Like, if he can go off, you know, hit seven threes in a game, you know, and he's capable of it. He's done it. But, you know, he's my X factor is J.R. Smith. If J.R. Smith averages 20 a game, the Cavs are winning this thing at six. So just whatever whatever J.R. Smith can do to get, you know, up over that 20-point threshold would be incredible. I'm glad you brought up J.R. Smith. It's really interesting when you look at his career stats. So this season, he took the fewest shots of his career, if we're excluding his second season with New Orleans, which was ages ago. That was that was like when LeBron was a rookie. Yeah. But this postseason, he's attempting 4.8 field goals per game, which for a guy like him, you look at his career numbers, that's really low. But from my perspective, he stepped up his defense. So just talk about the impacts he makes even when he's not shooting and scoring. And if he can still help a lot, if he doesn't go for some 20-plus games like you said was possible, because we just haven't seen that much from him. He only has two double-digit scoring games these entire playoffs. Yeah, so he's going to have to guard Clay, and that's going to be really hard. He's getting older. He's, he's, a, he's, a better, he's a better defender with Cleveland than he was, obviously, with New York. Or He was a pretty good defender athletically with Denver, but... You know, he, he knows what to do. It's just going to be a matter of, like, defending Clay Thompson is is difficult. So, but that's what he's got to do. He's got to, he er, like, early in the game, he's got to, like, get a hand on, you know, his first, Clay's first shot, and he's got to hit his first three. If he can, like, do those two things, then he could have, like, a big game because he's, he's a streak shooter. If it's his first two, you know, he's going to take another one. So he's going to have to knock down threes consistently and he's going to have to do something to, to slow down Clay. You know, I, I, would, I would say stay in front of him and try to deny him the basketball, but we'll see what happens. When you look at the percentages of these playoffs, J.R. Smith is shooting well. He's just not getting that many shots given just that he's been pretty accurate and he's a consummate professional. I don't know if, if people have said that often about him, but I think he's – He's earned that at this stage of his career. Maybe it was more of a question mark earlier on, but do you not really have a worry even when he's shooting so few times that if he's open, he'll he'll have the confidence to take it and have a good shot at making it in a key situation? I think he will. I mean, I think all these guys, like their whole season, like the only thing you're going to remember about any of these Cavalier players is what they did this series. Like if, if J.R. Smith is, is, is huge this series – that's all you're going to remember. And he was at the parade last year, and he knows that 
it just takes one game, you know, one shot. So I, I'm not worried about his confidence or, or any of those guys. And Tristan Thompson, you mentioned earlier, is a guy that you know you're going to get 10 and 10 or, or whatever you get from him. Just an amazing offensive rebounder. And we've seen it now. This is the third straight postseason where he's taken his offensive rebounding to new heights relative to the regular season. I don't know if you could say it's a difference maker because he's just done that consistently against the Warriors the last two finals. But how big is that for Cleveland to just get those extra opportunities at second chance points? Those are huge. And and people, you know, TNT or ESPN game analysts, you know, have called him like, you know, the best offensive rebounder um, in the game. Sorry to not remember who said that exactly. But so he's at least in the conversation for the very best offensive rebounder in the league. And that's that's crazy. And that's 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 huge for this team. And and those second chance those second chances are big and they're gonna be so big against Golden State. Cleveland also had the midseason acquisitions of Kyle Corver and Darren Williams. Do you think those two will be able to play a significant role and get a significant amount of minutes against the Warriors? Yeah, I don't know how much in terms of production. You know, I guess Corver is another guy that could hit, you know, three, four threes in a game. I think those guys are going to have to, you know, they can't make any mistakes. Like they can't turn it over, can't just get, you know, beat real easy, you know, while they're in. You know, I like those two guys off the bench, but I don't see them make, putting huge numbers like in the box score. Yeah, I think Corver, especially, you know, he's not relied on to uh, do anything other than shoot the ball. He's a, in my opinion, passable at least defender. So I see it. Yeah. I'm not sure about Darren Williams, but I think one of the biggest question marks coming into the season was the backup point guard role. So he definitely has fit, fit that need for the Cavs at least. Yeah. I think, I think some people thought when, you know, Darren Williams based on what he did for, you know, Utah and then the Nets as an all-star there, you know, is going to put up bigger numbers. But I think that's really what he's done. What you said is solidified that backup point guard spot. There are so many storylines. I think a lot of people are excited about the Kevin Durant, LeBron James rematch in the finals. We saw it last for the only time five years ago, Thunder Heat. And obviously the Heat and LeBron got the better end of that. There's also Mike Brown coaching against his former star player and team as he fills in for Steve Kerr. It's the the rubber match, I guess you could say, too, between these two really dominant teams. Do you have a favorite storyline going into it? I mean, just being from Cleveland, the storyline I can't believe is that, you know, the Cavs are looking to repeat. <laughs> that, that, that blows my mind enough. But, you know, the Mike Brown one is interesting. You know, like, you also look at it from Mike Brown's perspective. Mike Brown is coaching against a franchise that fired him twice. Like the Cavs fired him, hired him, and fired him again. So that's almost like a Disney movie, like going up against the team that, that fired you twice. So that that's that's interesting. But you know, really, if you if you looked at the game, like Steph Kyrie is going to be unbelievable. But just LeBron versus Durant at this age of their career is probably my favorite storyline i think all of them added together just make for an incredible finals even if it doesn't go as many games as we'd hope i i just think that there are just so many exciting things to pay attention to and 
as much as basketball fans that aren't from Cleveland or Oakland might complain about it, the inevitability of that, I just, I think that we're all lucky to be watching the greatness of these two teams. Yeah. The Mike Brown thing, though, that that is really interesting. I was looking at this recently, and you know Mike Brown's regular season record, his win, winning percentage with Cleveland was higher than Tyron Lewis is currently. Really? Yeah. But he's in the- He's like 600-something. Yeah, in the 600s. And yeah. yeah, I thought that was interesting. He took them – well, I don't know if I should say he. He and LeBron took them to two conference finals and an NBA finals. They didn't get a ring. Well, the one thing with those teams like that I give Mike Brown credit for is, is those were horrible rosters. Like that was another thing that I, I did for my book is like went through and ranked – you know, his best 20 games and then, like, his best teammates. And, like, you know, the teammate, like, the 07, the 07 finals that Mike Brown took to the NBA finals, the point guard is Larry Hughes, the shooting guard Sasha, Sasha Pavlovic, Daniel Marshall started, Drew Gooden started, and then Z. I mean, that's, that's a terrible lineup. When you look at, like, LeBron's team now, like, not the only guy on that team that was an all-star was Adrunas Elgowskis ever and that was like five years ago so you look at like this Cavs team and you know outside the big three you're bringing Kyle Corvers who was all-star before Darren Williams who was all NBA off the bench you know there wasn't an all NBA teammate that LeBron played with until he went to Miami just at any point in his career so yeah well that, it, until 2009 I should say that is important to note because we talk about concerns about depth and I mean, from the, the big three. David Jones played 25 minutes a game as, as the point guard for that oh, team. Koga. I think that says it all, yeah. It's impressive that, that they were able to go that far. And um, as you said, Dijunas Ogossius, maybe Mo Williams were his best two teammates on some of those teams. Yeah, and then two, two years later, I think his, his, his first best teammate was Delonte West. Like, actually at that time. Like, he played with Big Ben at the end of his career while he's going to be at the end of his career. His best teammate that he got was Delonte West for a year, and then Mo Williams came the next year, and Mo Williams was his best teammate. You know, before that, it was hard to say. Drew Gooden, maybe. So it's interesting. Mike Brown didn't obviously get any rings with that team, and and now he's going for his first title against Cleveland and against LeBron. So that'll be a good thing to look at. Steve Kerr probably won't coach in any of the games. We don't know yet. It's not looking good, but that sucks. I, hopefully, yeah, Steve Kerr is like back next season, man. He's like the coolest. He's the coolest guy. Yeah, we really wish him well. So I was going to ask you though. I know your book hasn't come out yet, but just in doing the research for the book, I know you follow LeBron James and the Cavaliers very closely, but. What were some of the more interesting things that you didn't know until you sat down and started really digging deep into the research? One of the things, you know, that was, I guess, interesting to me is like just how young LeBron was when he was, you know, winning his MVP award, when he was going to the NBA finals for the first time, how young he was at 19 for his first all-star game, you know, and just the fact that he lived up to all those expectations it really is incredible when you look back at it. Yeah, I heard someone say that the other day. It truly is 
incredible because he was hyped up so much the chosen one on national tv in high school and he was able to withstand all that pressure and be i don't know you know if this is this might sound crazy to say but better than those lofty expectations just the fact that like say three years ago i would have never thought we'd be having the michael jordan lebron james you know conversation and just like even that even when you think that last one that last expectation that he didn't live up to is is gone. Then it's three years later and he is right there. And like, you know, he's looking like maybe he is on that path. It's just, it's crazy. It's crazy that he's playing his best basketball, you know, at year 14. And uh, is, there's some huge legacy points on the line against the Warriors here. We really appreciate the time. It's been a pleasure talking with you about LeBron James and the Cavaliers as we prepare for the finals. So they are the underdogs, as Lauren led with in the opening question. And I think that that it makes sense that they are. The Warriors are historically great. So in the case that LeBron James and the Cavaliers don't emerge victorious, but he likely has a very good finals again, that shouldn't take away from anything. I, I think that would be ridiculous for people to cite his mediocre finals record, just given the fact that they've been underdogs all the time. I know that's kind of a statement and not a question, but I wanted to say that before getting your finals prediction. And then also you can react to that if you'd like to, too. Oh, no, I think I get what you're saying 100%. You know, I think ultimately if he wins, it helps his legacy. It's undeniable if he wins. You know, if he plays tough and they lose, I think it's forgivable. You know, and but if he, you know, if he doesn't show up, you know, maybe that's, you know, something that that he gets criticized for. But same thing is going to happen to Steph. The same thing is going to happen to Durant. I mean, that's why there's major superstars on the line. And, and, you know, but ultimately, I agree with you that if he if he if he does what he does and they fall up short, it shouldn't hurt him. Yeah. When you're that good, you have to be held responsible or you will be held responsible, whether it's completely fair or not. But what is your prediction? If you had to just how many games do you think it'll go and who do you think will win? So I got the Cavs winning this series. First of all, I'm going to say Cavs in six. The reason is I just find it hard to believe that they could win another game seven in Golden State this year, which is where it would be. You know, if it goes that far, so I say the Cavs in six, they go back to back. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for your time and insight. It's been a joy just to hear from you. And good luck on the book coming out later this year, too. Oh, thanks a lot. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, Andy. Welcome back. Glad to have you on again. <laughs> you guys can't get rid of me, no matter how hard you try. I know, our our favorite guests to have on the show, especially about the Warriors. There's been, again, another really long layoff for the Warriors in between the conference finals and the start of the final series. First of all, have you been up to anything fun during that long layoff <laughs> and the previous layoffs? You know, we've had, or the Warriors have had, and when I say we, I mean like media, Oh my! For just covering this, this playoffs have been just. People say it's boring. 
Honestly, for me, I, since I work during the daytime, I do something else that doesn't involve sports. It's been so relaxing. Like I can just watch a game. And, like I can cover two home games, and one of them, you know, kind of ends up on being a weekend because it's the Warriors, and uh, they try to schedule it for the weekend. Um, and it's just it's so it's so easy. So I end up just you know when I cover games, I only sleep about four to five hours a day, and during the regular season, you know, two games a week, I don't sleep much throughout those weeks when they are home. But I'm getting some good sleep, so uh, I'm not gonna lie. I'm pretty happy about how the playoffs have gone, and we we're nearing the week and a half mark of the break here, and I'm I'm fine with it. Last year, last year I was at EDC. I, I missed I missed Game Seven at home, and then I missed Game Five for the Warriors against OKC. Came back for Game Seven. So last year I was running around everywhere. This year it's been a bit more relaxing. Hopefully. Well, that that's me selfishly, <laughs> and I'm sure the the Warriors to bring it back to the Warriors. They've been extremely rested, unlike last year. So they're going in a different team, obviously outside of Durant, but they're going in like Draymond, Steph, and Clay. Those guys are going in completely, uh, complete or as fresh as can be. Yeah, I mean the Warriors have played what twelve games in the last about month and a half or something. So that's definitely they'll be well rested heading into this series. Hopefully everyone healthy, unlike last season. Before we get into this upcoming series, we can maybe reflect on last season one last time. I know it's still maybe a sour spot for people who cover the Warriors. After all of the memes that went on after last season, people who will remain unnamed bringing it up time and time again, even months after the fact. Do you think that makes this Warriors team especially... (laughs) motivated to make a statement this year i i think so for the warriors a a part of this is revenge um for kind of you know an atonement i guess for what happened last season but part of this is it's a brand new team they know that it's a whole different bench um there's steph there's clay the draymond yes there's igadala yes but you know it's zaza it's david west it's javel mcgee it's kevin durant obviously right and i I think part of it this season is these guys are trying to put the finishing touches on what will be if they win the championship one of the greatest playoff runs of all time right if not the greatest um in terms of what i think is going to happen so part of this is i think for certain players it'll be redemption i think for steph curry specifically for draymond green it'll be redemption uh, mainly for the ways those guys uh, struggled. Steph Curry struggled overall. Draymond Green getting himself suspended and costing the team uh, the championship. So from that aspect, yes. But from from the other side, just from how they're playing, this is something that they want to win just because to cap off you know a great season. And you don't see this often from a team that's um, adding, you know, others say a super team, but really not in the way most other teams were built in that, you know, they just added Durant and, you know, they already had the core set. The expectation is that they need to win, uh, not that they were going to get a year to kind of have those pieces fill in. It was expected that they were going to win. Not only this, part of it is these guys know that they're looking to win maybe two, three, four more titles after this as well. So it's going to be great to win one if they do. But part of it, these guys know that they've got a lot more to go in terms of, I guess, legacy, dynasty, whatever, whatever however you want to think about it. No disrespect intended to the Cavaliers, of course. And a championship is a championship, but how satisfying would a 16-0 perfect playoffs be in your mind? 
<laughs> well, last year, I think the Warriors were gunning for that a little bit too. Last year, the Warriors wanted that a lot more than they did this year. Um, the Warriors this year are humbled. They're smarter. They're more seasoned. So to, to compare to LeBron, the Warriors last season were the ones that were telling the holding a celebration in front of a crowd without ever even playing a single game in a Miami jersey and telling them that they were going to win three, four, five, six, seven titles, right? That was the Warriors last year. They wanted to go 73-9. and nine. They wanted to break the Bulls record. They wanted that MVP for, MVP for Steph. They wanted a 16-0 and record through the playoffs. They wanted to cap off the greatest regular season with a back-to-back title. And they were talking all that mess, everything, right? Cocky, blowing back in people's faces, things like that. That's kind of how LeBron was, right? And it all came crashing down for LeBron where he got, you know, kind of locked down by J.J. Barea, of all people. Lost to the Mavericks as heavy favorites. And then the Warriors choked a 3-1 lead uh, against the Cavs um, after talking smack to LeBron James. So... They both were humbled, and I think this season, I don't think they care. Uh, part of it is, hey, they want to go 14-0, and that would be satisfying, but it really doesn't matter. For these guys, it, it's just getting the title. Because I think that part of it is also the Cavs kind of have a mental edge, I think a little bit. A little bit of a mental edge if we think about it from the fact that they have LeBron James and, and what happened last season. There are so many storylines. I could just tick off a number of them, but I'll just ask you, do you have a favorite storyline right now heading into the finals? Yeah, I'm incredibly biased. Um, so my storyline is uh, Steph Curry. Um, just <laughs> just the way that he's played in the past two finals. Like, that's the thing. Like, people everywhere, Cavs fans, mass media, majority of fans are kind of like, hey, you know, Kyrie Irving and Steph Curry are on the same footing, right? And if you're a Warriors fan, and obviously I'm one, even though I cover the team, I'm still a Warriors fan. That's infuriating because it's obvious that Steph is better. He's a better shooter. He's a better passer. He's a better defender. He's a better screen setter. He's better leader. Um, he's pretty much better at everything outside of isol- isolation scoring. But in 2015, Kyrie got hurt. And the last we saw in 2015, he blocked Steph from behind, actually, um, in game one before he got hurt. Steph struggled a little bit. Like, he struggled in, like, one game. And then he had a great 2015 finals. Probably should have won finals MVP. But he didn't because of Iguodala kind of shutting down LeBron. So that kind of went by the wayside for Steph. And then you have last season where he's coming off the knee injury um, and he's worn, worn down by the end of that series. And he really struggled and didn't play well in the finals, even though he had you know decent numbers. But Kyrie outplayed him. So we're kind of talking from that aspect. Like so far across the two finals, it just seems like they're the same players. And that's something that I think Steph knows. And, and Steph, like LeBron, uh, understands all the criticism and, and reads what everyone is saying. And he absolutely understands that people think Kyrie is on the same footing as him. And I think it's something he's going to go out there and prove throughout this series that that really he's on another level. Two of the other storylines that I think are really interesting, but among a, a lot of fascinating ones, is the rematch between Kevin Durant and LeBron James. Five years ago, they met in the finals when it was Heat Thunder. And then also, I think Mike Brown facing his former team, the team that fired him twice, and former superstar player LeBron James. That That's kind of interesting. One thing I think is pretty ridiculous is the question being raised about whether Mike Brown coaching LeBron James all those years, whether or not he has inside info on how to stop LeBron. Have you heard people talking about that? Wow. that is, I thought I've seen the everything. Scorching take. I have I have not seen that one. Uh, that's funny. Um, no, I, I 
No, that's not something I, I will say this though, in terms of coaching, um, I think the Cavs have a little bit of an edge um, from that standpoint. I, I think the Warriors have a better coaching staff. Ron Adams and Steve Kerr are both better basketball minds than Tyron Lue. But I do think in a short series, Cavs are willing to do things like if you got into a fight and you knew you were better, like you aren't going to necessarily kind of stoop down or do anything you wouldn't want to do, right? Like uh, like if you're going to win a fight and you're bigger, you're, you're just swinging. You know if you swing, you're going to connect, you're going to win. But the guy that's smaller than you is willing to drag your legs or, or kind of bite you or scratch you or claw, whatever it is that they need to do, right? The Cavs are that guy. They're that smaller guy that would do anything to win. They'll run pick and rolls until it doesn't work. Uh, they'll, they'll change their game plan up to switch their whole defensive scheme up against the Warriors, right? And from the Warriors side, they're not going to do any of that. Like outside of them going down 2-1 or injuries, like they're not going to change from where they were. We're not going to suddenly see Steph Curry running a ton of pick and rolls to start a game. But the first player you're going to see in game one is probably him running up the court, passing it to Zaza Pachulia in the pinch post, and then watching some off-ball action and, you know, kind of end up with an ISO with KD or something. Like that's like the Warriors aren't going to change how they play throughout the season just because they're playing the Cavs because they're a better team. And they have this, this system set where they're also kind of e- egotistical about it. So I think that's a drawback, though. I think if the Cavs are winning, I don't, you know, there's there's going to be a part where the Warriors aren't going to want to, you know, the coaching staff isn't going to want to change. For example, they're not going to want to go small lineup a lot, I bet. Like, they're, they might if it gets close, but they're not going to do it. If, the, if they're winning or whatever it may be, maybe if it's a close game, they're probably going to stay with Zaza. Um, they're not going to give Draymond at center 25, 30 minutes a game, which I would if I was the coach. And I think that if Ty, you switch spots, I, if Tyron Lue was the coach for the Warriors, he would too. Um, so we'll see. Um, and, and from Mike Brown's standpoint, I don't think he's that good of a coach from an adjustments perspective anyway. So obviously that's going to be something that that's a in-game downside. Yeah, speaking more about the coaching situation, can you just provide us a little bit more information and context behind what Steve Kerr has been going through these past few weeks continually and also some more of the differences in style between when the Warriors are being head coached by Mike Brown versus Steve Kerr. Yeah, Kerr, I, I mean I don't I don't pretend to know everything that's going on behind the scenes. I do know that he he's been dealing with this for the past year since he's come back last year. Like it wasn't great in the off season and he was dealing with it in the regular season as well. And it was something where if he's he's not willing to take regular season games off despite this pain, it, you can only imagine how how bad it is right now, especially given that it's the playoffs, that is the NBA Finals, that he's still not able to get out there, right? Those those lights, that sound, he's not able to handle those from a migraine, headache, brain perspective. So that that's really tough. Um, he has said he's going to coach next season. Um, and, 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 and part of it is, hey, it is killing him here to, to kind of not be able to be on the sidelines. Now, now, the difference between what they're doing in terms of coaching, not much. I mean, if you take Mike Brown and Steve Kerr off the sidelines and you put Andy Liu there, like, is it really going to be that big of a difference when you're playing the, the Blazers, the Jazz maybe? Like, probably not. But now, if we're talking about playing the Cavs, I think the difference is that for the Warriors, this might be a good thing coming from me. But from a short series... Mike Brown might be better than Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr is willing is not willing, like as I was saying earlier, he's not willing to move away from the system, from the one that he implemented, the one that actually got these guys a title. Mike Brown is willing to play his guys 40 plus minutes and just let Steph and Katie cook. 
ISO, pick and roll repeatedly. That's what they did against the Spurs. That's what they did against the Jazz. With that comes a little bit of a downside. You're seeing Klay Thompson struggle because he's just not getting enough touches. But if you have Steph and you have KD, like, who are you going to go with, right? Going to go with those two guys. And, and what Klay is going to get on the on the periphery there is what he's going to get. So um, I'd expect, though, from that side, I'm kind of rambling, Klay to have a rather good series just because there's just not enough defenders that the Cavs have. Um, and even then, last year they put J.R. Smith and stuck him on him. Uh, even then, J.R. Smith is not going to necessarily shut him down. Like Someone like Danny Green is going to shut him down, but not J.R. Smith. One thing you brought up and something people have also been noticing over the course of this season, and particularly during the playoffs, is that the Warriors really haven't been going to that death lineup, small Draymond at center. They haven't been going to that lineup very often. Is the reason for that, you think, because of matchups, or do you think it's a fatigue issue, or maybe are they saving it until the finals? I think I think all of them is the bailout answer, but I think that it's mostly because they don't need to right now. And when I say they don't need to, they literally will wait until they're down in a series to pull that trigger. They're not going to go to it right away. I think Mike Brown actually went to it pretty quickly in a couple of the Spurs game. Like they, he played them, I think out of a third quarter, he pulled Zaza quick and put Andre in there and play that for about seven minutes. So that was that was good to see. So I think they're willing to go to that lineup relatively quickly in games, but they're not going to start games with it that much. So I'd expect to see maybe about at tops, maybe 25 minutes. But at this point, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's fatigue. And I wouldn't say it would just probably be stubbornness from the Warriors side. They, they just don't feel like they need it until they absolutely do. The question begs, will it be too late when they do switch to it when they need to? That's a good point. It's probably something that you don't do until until you feel pressured to do so. And that brings me to the next question I have. When we talked to Paul Garcia about the Spurs last round in their matchup against the Warriors, he said that he suspected that, you know, we weren't even seeing the Warriors necessarily at full strength. They were saving their best plays so that they could not showcase them to other teams for scouting until they were really needed to against a team like the Cavs. Do you think that's true? And oh, we'll man. See, like some other actions <laughs> that we haven't seen before? Oh, my. Uh, no, I, I think that's a little that that's given the Warriors a little too much credit. I think um, I, I don't think they're they're that cocky. Uh, maybe that's something I would I would joke about. Um, but no, I, I think what you're seeing is what you're going to get most likely from the Warriors. The, the way they play their offense, the way they play their defense, their offense is built on a base set of motion. And really, a lot of their movement is based off counters and really how the players react to the defense. Those type of split cuts, that type, type of stuff, right? Off-ball movement. Uh, really, the off-ball movement is based on how guys are guarding them at a time, too. So a lot of it is timing. That's why they have so many turnovers. If they're going to be breaking out something that something ne- people have never before seen, it's going to be a a pick and roll offense with the small ball lineup for 40 minutes a game. Like if they pull that off, I, first of all, I would be, I would be out here with a standing ovation. That would be amazing. Don't think that's going to happen though. I, I think part of it is they have the system down. They just need to execute it. They know that the Warriors know that if they play well, no one's beating them. This was the same in 2015, the same in 2016 and the same in 2017. Nobody's beating these guys if they're playing well. What happens is when they don't play well. And it's usually a cause for themselves. Turnovers, mental mistakes, missed open shots, right? These guys take a you know, fair amount of jumpers. 
things like that. So the usually it's their fault if they don't win. Now the exception is LeBron James last year, but really outside of that, these guys are are if they execute, they're they're usually good for it for a win. I think we've heard a lot about Clay's struggles over the course of the postseason with his shooting, but. Iguodala has also been struggling shooting a lot during the playoffs. He's shooting only 11% from three. Do you think that that's going to factor into the series if he can't get his offense back on track, or is his role mostly just on the defensive end? I, I think defense is going to be more... Well, you can look at it both ways. I think, uh, from my perspective, I think defense is going to be more important for him. I know that no matter what he does, if Kyrie is on, he's on, but... Clay still has still has the job to at least make it difficult, right? That shot that he hit on Christmas Day was an impossible shot. And if Kyrie's going to hit that every time down the floor, or maybe 50% of the time down the floor, then he does. Like, there's nothing you can do about that. Do they go and trap him? I doubt that. Unless he's out here dropping, you know, 45 points in the first two games. So he's going to have that job. And on offense... You would think there's no way he can slump any further, but Clay is a streaky shooter. So I would expect two things. Him to either shoot like maybe 30% from three um, and struggle and keep struggling or basically shoot like 50, 55% from three and just not miss and just have games where he'll drop like 30 points on 15 shots. Like that's just the way he is. And it, it's elongated to this point to 12 games because he hasn't got so many, that many shots. So you kind of think of it as a small sample size to where he hasn't got many shots and he's slumping. So it's kind of coalesced together, I guess you would say, into a, an elongated slump. What do you make of what JaVale McGee is doing? I know he's playing only about 10 and a half minutes per game. A lot of people like to make fun of him or just act surprised that he can make such a big impact. He's just so athletic. I guess it kind of depends on the matchup, if he'll be effective or impactful. But what's your take on what he's contributed so far? Contributed so far, I think he's been good. Um, Something that I think that the Spurs would have probably exposed if they had Kawhi in the game and a little bit more structured offense. So I, I think he would have probably been unplayable against the Spurs. He'll probably be a little bit more playable against the Cavs, but he has been surprisingly good against the Blazers and, and the Jazz. I mean, what he gives is just kind of like up and down. Like one game, it's, he's either going to be great or the next game he's either going to be terrible and you'll find out within the first like 90 seconds <laughs> whether he's going to be good or not. And it's usually just him, you know, maker making a contested layup, making a dunk or you know, goaltending a shot or not actually, you know, not actually jumping at a pump fake and actually contesting verticality. You'll know, like, within the first minute or so whether he's playing well or not. But I think it's a little overstated, though, just the impact and how better he's gotten from the Warriors' perspective just because it's the Warriors, and they make everyone look great no matter who it is. And But he's only playing, like, 10 minutes a game, if that, at times. And he provides a jolt, but I don't think he's any type of X factor in this in this series. He's not any type of if he plays well, they're going to win, or if he doesn't play well, they're not going to win. He's not, not going to be that type of impact, I don't think, in a series of this uh, of this you know size. That's fair. I think it's just fun for people to comment on. Right. It. So look at Javale. Look what he's doing. Yeah, that that's pretty much what it is. Like combine that with the, how the Warriors make him play and make him look good, and the fact that he's Javale McGee. It's just a lot of talk about JaVale at all times. I, I think it's a little bit, you know, kind of like it's it's probably more interesting to talk about, um, you know, Draymond Green's impact or or, or Kyrie Irving or maybe how's, how's Richard Jefferson going to guard Kevin Durant, you know, things like that. 
Kyrie Irving, I think Cavaliers fans like to point to the impact he made in their championship run last year. Just a spectacular finals series for him. And they'll also point to the fact that he missed all but one of the 2015 finals games. Do you think that that will be very important to slow him down? I I would expect him to get his share of points. He's just so good at crossing over his defender and just finishing. But that seems to be a big part of what makes the Cavaliers so dangerous on offense. Yeah, he was not good in games one and two last year. And he was all right in games three and five. He really was someone that I was exposed on defense and on offense. He was, you know, mediocre at best. It wasn't until game five where he had that insane isolation game where he dropped 30 plus to keep them you know, keep them in, in, in range of winning that series. And then game six, and then, of course, the game seven shot where he kind of blew up. And then in this playoffs, he's been playing much better. He's become a much better player. I do think there's going to be a little jolt of reality because it's not like he's playing defense any better. Steph is actually still a better defender. And really, Steph has been a very good defender these this postseason for those that, you know, think he's he's terrible. He's not great, but he's someone that's still he's always in the right spots. He's a smart defender. He's a, he's a white defender is what he is. But I think part of Kyrie and what the Warriors will do is they're just going to play the same defense that they've always had. And yes, you maybe he'll get going, maybe he won't, but the thing about this series is that with the margin of error that KD provides, the Cavs need Kyrie to drop 35 points uh, for them to have a chance in any single game. If the Warriors get a good game from Draymond, from KD, from Stephen Clay, this game's over. The Cavs need two superhuman performances from Kyrie and LeBron to win a game. So I think that's the difference in the series overall. And um might not matter what Kyrie does. He might still be playing great. The thing is, we get we get a healthy Steph who's playing at the greatest that he's ever played in the playoffs. So even if Kyrie's playing great, it might not matter either. So, number five, you did it again. We still are not sick of you yet. We'll see you <laughs> next time. But the last question I just wanted to ask you, I'm going to ask you to try to incorporate a lot here. So, I do want to get your prediction for who wins, how many games it goes, and who will take home finals MVP. But also, try to touch upon just how important Draymond Green is all over the court because everyone's talking about how Kevin Durant is now the biggest new element on this team and the Stephen Curry redemption factor. But Draymond Green, we don't ever think, gets the love that he deserves. So there, I'm just throwing a ton of questions at you and we'll see what you could do with it. <laughs> yeah, let's let's roll with Draymond Green first. I think the, an under, the most, well, I think Steph Curry's a really underrated player in the league today, which sounds ridiculous. I think Draymond Green is right up there in terms of underrated as well. I think a lot of what people don't like about Draymond is that he just talks a lot. I mean, he says a lot of stuff, and maybe sometimes he says a lot of dumb stuff. Though he is a really a smart dude and a really and one of the smartest, if not the smartest players on the court, maybe outside of LeBron and, and maybe Iguodala. But what he does for the Warriors is... LeBron knows that if he can outplay Draymond to the point where he can play him off the floor, foul trouble, suspensions, maybe get in his head a little bit, I don't think that's going to happen this time around, though you never know with how great LeBron is. But he knows that if you take Draymond out, the Warriors are in trouble. 
regardless of who they add. You can add maybe Anthony Davis to this team if you want. They're still going to be in trouble without Draymond. The way he uh, sets those transition screens, he is rebounding. He's literally the only rebounder when they go small. KD's great, but you know he's not the strongest guy down low against other bigs, especially if it's going to be Tristan or LeBron. So he's the rebounder. He's the rim protector. He's going to be the one that's switching on to Kyrie. He's going to be the one that's contesting LeBron at the rim. He's going to be the one closing out. Like he really does everything on that side of the floor. And last year, the Warriors were not good with Draymond off the floor. And LeBron and Kyrie's shooting percentage shot downwards uh, when he was on the floor. So he has an outside shot of winning finals MVP. Uh, I'll give him that. And in terms of redemption, as much as he doesn't want to say it, as much as he'll act like, you know, maybe last year didn't matter, or he really hasn't talked about it at all, but he, it has eaten him up all summer. Um, he knows he cost his team that game, maybe cost him a championship. But again, he was the guy that recruited KD, so what can you say to him, right? But he is someone that that does have finals MP, MVP. I think the Warriors have three guys that could win. <laughs> and what does it say about his legacy, Steph Curry's legacy, maybe if he wins another title, and he doesn't have another finals MVP to show for it, right? That's going to be really interesting. Though that's kind of first world problems as a fan. It's like, well, as a Warriors fan, would you want them to win two titles and Steph to not have a finals MVP? Or, or anyway, th- those are those are fun questions uh, when you're a Warriors fan because you kind of assume that they're going to win here. Um, and that kind of leads to my prediction. I predicted the Warriors to go sweep through the playoffs. They probably shouldn't have won game one against the Spurs. But here we are. They are 12-0. And I think that from an overall perspective, the Cavs kind of don't know what they have coming to them. I think the Warriors do. I think they've played them two years already. Um, they've seen the players. I don't think the Cavs are ready. And I, and both teams are really cocky right now. So they both think they're going to win this series going away. And they're they're both confident. But I think KD just adds a different layer that the, the Cavs really haven't seen. And the Cavs beat them when they were when they were hurt and they were suspended, they were worn down, and that's not the case this year. And you can make a you can make a statement that both teams are playing great and both teams are healthy. But if we're talking about which team is better when they're on all cylinders, I don't think it's that close, LeBron or no LeBron. Because at the end of the day, it's it's LeBron's great, but KD is just right there, and Steph Curry is just right there too. And then you've got Draymond Green behind him, and you have stay, and you have Clay Thompson, and and you have a bench that's much better. So I've got the Warriors sweeping through. Sweeping through, you into doing it. <laughs> Sweeping through all sixteen games, and uh, I'm looking at the clock here, and we hit thirty minutes on the dot. So I think I did it as well. I think um, you did it again. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see how many people you piss off with that prediction. They're definitely a, a dominant team, and they're capable of it. I don't see it happening. I don't think it's going to be a sweep. But great analysis. Did you want to add anything before we let you go? Yeah, I will say this. I mean, I, I'm I'm a, I'm a fan first kind of guy now at this point. Troll a lot on Twitter, things like that. I I think if I were to actually put on my you know uh, analytical hat or whatever it may be to to actually go about this, I'll probably say Warriors in five, and I wouldn't be surprised if it went Warriors in six. They'll start slow game one. They'll probably drop one on the road game three. You know, th- those are the logical things that are going to happen. But I'm not here for logic this year. It's it's fun to watch the Warriors go about their way. And a lot of people are mad about them. So th- it'll be fun this offseason if they sweep through and, and people stay mad. So that, that, that'll, be, that'll be great to see. You already said sweep. We have to take your first answer. But thanks again. 
Sorry your long layoff is coming to an end soon, but at least you get to watch Warriors in the finals here. I can't wait. I can't wait. I mean, if they come back home and I got to cover a game five, hopefully it's a clinching game five, right? Because I'm not going to Cleveland. First world problem. <laughs> yep. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll talk to you again in the offseason. Yeah. Maybe sooner than that. Definitely. Maybe I'm going to be in a good mood. <laughs> okay.